Welcome to Sustainability Bridges, a Eurosif podcast that aims to build bridges between policymakers, investors, academics, and civil society around the theme of sustainable investment. Eurosif, the European Sustainable Investment Forum, is the leading pan-European association promoting sustainable finance and investment at the European level. In these podcasts, Eurosif's executive director invites distinguished guests for a 30-minute conversation on current events shaping the sustainable investment community. Hello, everyone. My name is Alexandra Palinska, and I am executive director of Eurosif. For this episode of Sustainability Bridges, I am honored to be joined by Mr. Paul Tang, a senior member of the European Parliament, first elected in 2014 and then re-elected in 2019. Paul is a member of the Dutch Labour Party and belongs to the group of socialists and democrats in the European Parliament. He was rapporteur in numerous high-profile files, including on sustainable finance disclosure regulation, so-called SFDR, the EU Green Bond Standard, and simple, transparent and standardized securitizations. However, after 10 years, Paul will be stepping down from the European Parliament when the body is dissolved ahead of the European elections that will be taking place in June. Together, we're going to discuss the review of SFGR, the EU Green Bond Standards, and reflect on the state of EU sustainable finance until now and look ahead to the future of the European elections and what these may mean for the future of sustainable finance in the EU. Dear Paul, thank you for joining us today. Of course, a pleasure. Ever since 2018 and the first European Commission Sustainable Finance Action Plan, key regulations such as the EU Taxonomy Regulation, SFDR, and the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive and the accompanying European Sustainability Reporting Standards have been introduced at the rapid pace to form the foundations of the EU Sustainable Finance Framework. What are, according to you, the main achievements, the main challenges of this framework so far? I think, we, like, like you said, we laid the foundation for the sustainable finance framework. And, and these are twofold. First, we have the transparency requirements in the SFDR and the CSRD. So first for the financial institutions, then for the corporate. That was a logical implication. And not just that, we also have introduced access to the data. So data on sustainability are important. So a proposal like the European single access point is also important. Um, so it's transparency and then sustainability standards, most notably the taxonomy, right? So these are the foundations of the sustainable uh, finance framework. Now, from the start, I remember uh, reading the advice by what is called the HLEC, uh, the high-level expert group, and the expert said from the start, we need to fight short-termism. And I remember reading that because when I read that, I thought, well, that is a daunting task. And, of course, it is a daunting task if you think about it. When you look at financial data, there's an entire industry of accountants, auditors, and controllers. So what we do with sustainability data is, in a sense, build a framework and try to collect and verify and audit data. So that's – and that we do in a relatively short period of time. But it should lead, in the end, to have a long-term view – not just for some investors, but for the functioning of the financial markets. Uh, that is not obvious, right? And I can see a, a, a recent example. Uh, I think it was October this year that Shell, the oil company, formerly uh, British-Dutch, but now just British, 
announced to slash uh, the sustainability division, right? I think they laid off people for 15% announcing that. The stock price of Shell went up, not down. Makes you wonder how, to what extent the investors in Shell take the long run into account. And I think that is, that is the question. Now, before we come back to this question, I think it's good to see that we indeed laid the foundation and this has had impact. For example, on the SFDR, we can see that a lot of investment funds fall under the so-called Article 8 and Article 9, uh, the light and the dark green. I think it's more than 50% of the fund market. In that sense, it's a big success, more than I expected when we worked on <laughs> the disclosure regulation, in all honesty, which also shows to us to a problem. But it, it has impact. The same is true for the taxonomy, right? We have introduced the taxonomy, and there are estimates that around 17% of the capital, of the capex, the capital expenditure is taxonomy aligned for the, uh, for the stocks 600 companies. And no, it's sorry, it's 23 for, uh, for the capital expenditure and 17% for revenue. So, but it shows taxonomy alignment seems to work and this will provide uh, clear guidance for, um, uh, for the, for the investors. So in that sense, it's working. And it's not just the direct effect of the regulations, right? It's also the indirect effect of the regulation because after the EU came forward with the sustainable finance action plan, other jurisdictions, other countries outside the European Union followed. So we have now a taxonomy in many countries, including the UK, Japan, and so on. And it also pushed, I think, to have sustainability in some form included in the international level. And I'm thinking of the IFRS, the ISSB, I hope the, the, the listeners to this podcast. So these are the, let's say, the accounting standards, that the worldwide accounting standards. It's not the same approach at the international level as it is at the European level. The European level embraces the idea of full materiality. It's not just the impact on financial returns, but it's also the impact on people and uh, planet itself that matters and which companies and financial institutions should report on. Whereas the international approach is more on financial materiality. What are the risks of, let's say, climate change policies or other uh, other sustainability policies on the financial return? So it's financial versus full materiality. Then again, I'd like to think that these two approaches can be somewhat aligned. Financial materiality, the first step, full materiality, the second step. And besides, in the long run, I'm not so sure that the differences are that large, right? But it also had an impact that's the so-called the Brussels effect is well, not just the effect it had, the direct effect it had on the European financial market. It also had impact on policy making outside the EU. And that helps. So in that sense, I think we have achieved a lot. Then again, it's not enough. I'd like to, I'd like to argue because what we need is investment that takes into account the long run. And I just gave you the example of Shell and it makes you wonder, is the long run fully included into the decision by investors or by the companies in which uh, the investors uh, put their money? I gave the example of Shell, but you can also see that uh, there, is, there are problems with greenwashing. I already said the SFDR was a success, maybe too big a success to be credible, right? So there are doubts, and this is also expressed in the reports of the supervisors, the so-called ESA, saying, well, yeah, it seems at least many financial market uh, participants assume that there is a greenwashing ongoing. 
So they will look further, the supervisors will look further into this. Uh, but we also see journalists, and that's the, the advantage of transparency, right? Journalists can do the digging. And we see that many of the funds still finance fossil fuels uh, or activities related to fossil fuels. And this may not be to the expectation of the investors, certainly not the retail investors. And that greenwashing is a problem in itself, right? You don't want to have a form of deception, but it also sh- it also shows that the capital markets do not function as we want them to function because the role of the capital market should be we channel the funds towards investment in sustainability activity. And greenwashing is at odds with that because you can just pretend to be green uh, and not be actually be green in the sense that you have investment in sustainable activities. So yes, there are problems. I like to, I, I think that the long term, going back to the experts where they started, short term uh, sustainable finance cannot thrive with short termism on the capital markets. That was their claim. And I think that claim is still valid today. And I'm happy to see that there are investors out there with a long run, uh, with a long term horizon and most notably pension funds, insurance companies. Uh, but that's not enough to make the markets uh, turn around and uh, focus on the long run and uh, forget short termism. So that is a kickoff of where we are, Alexandra. Thank you so much, Paul, for these uh, very useful insights. I think you touched upon a lot of uh, important points. Now, let's spend a little bit more time on uh, the review of uh, SFDR. 15th of December marks the deadline to the European Commission public consultation on the holistic review of the SFDR framework. I mean, uh, obviously, we we, we can't expect uh, a legislative proposal before um, 2025. But of course, you know, already now the Commission starts to consult uh, various stakeholders on what may need to be adjusted in this framework. Now, looking back at indeed, you know, how this framework has been implemented, what do you think are its strengths that should be preserved? And what do you think needs to be adjusted to make it really truly fit for purpose? Well, to understand the current SFDR, it's important. <laughs> now, it, it, it may be good to realize that it was a, very much a compromise at, in 2019. The European Parliament wanted to embrace, embrace full materiality. So we want to have full reporting on every aspect of sustainability, the E, the S, and the G. Uh, what is the impact on people and planet? On the other hand, on the other side were the Commission cautious and the Council conservative, and they just want to have financial materiality. Now let's look at the impact of sustainability on financial risk. And as a compromise, we set out on the principle, um, if you say you're green, you have to show that you're green. That was the principle behind SNCR. And that led to Article 8 and Article 9, right? But Article 8 and Article 9 have now the effect, if you say you're green, you want to live up to the standards of Article 8 or Article 9. So it became a form of a label. Well, it's not intended to be that way. It's a transparency framework, and a transparency framework has the advantage that you are more flexible than with standards. With a taxonomy, you have to be very precise. With the SFDR, you can ask for transparency without be, being too prescriptive. So I really think that sh- that should be different. Uh, so it can be flexible, but I would like to argue that we now do need to expand, since we have embraced 
especially since 2019, the full materiality, we need to expand the, the transparency and cover more areas of the ES and the S and the G, not get stuck in Article 8 or Article 9. No, no, it's also the funds that do not have any claim on sustainability that need to show what their impact is on people and planet. That would be still, that was the position of Parliament then. I still think it's important uh, today because, like I said, you want to have, see the impact on the long run. And those investors that invest in destructive activities should not be able to hide. So that's the start. Broader, uh, broader uh, transparency. I also like to think that we should put more emphasis on transition in general. Right, so the transition, because what we have now done is, um, what we want to see is what is the impact on the long run, but we need to show how the short run developments in the short run lead to the long run. So in other words, if a company pledges net zero, that's wonderful. But of course, the next question is, how will you achieve the net zero in 2050? And that will also help the investors to see, to see how the long, the short run or the sequences of short runs, so to say, lead to the long run. So I think we should focus more on transition as a way to bring the, the future forward to, to, uh, to, uh, to today. Having said that, emphasizing transition and transition plans, I think we should also have in the SFDR a transition, cat, uh, transition category. And that will also have very much help the, the framework of sustainable finance. We have much focused on what is sustainable, whereas the real question is, is not about being sustainable, it's about becoming sustainable. I think more than 80% of the companies still need to make the transition towards sustainability, right? Uh, and that would broaden the base of sustainable finance because the fear now is, oh, I might be excluded because I do not fit into the sustainable finance framework. And that leads to all kind of weird lobbying. Uh, for example, the, the French government really desperately wanted nuclear to be sustainable. And with the emphasis on just green, I sort of understand that. But with the evidence, evidence is not on being sustainable, but on becoming sustainable, that would change. So this is a long answer to say shortly, I would very much like to see a transition category in in the, in the SFDR, apart from the fact that we need to broaden the, the transparency requirements and in that sense broaden uh, the, the demands on Article 6. Um, and of course, we try to, we need to align, um, it's work in progress, right? We worked in, uh, in parallel on the SFDR, on the taxonomy, on the CSRD. So we need to align the legislation as much as possible. Of course, I would say it's work in progress. Uh, it's not that we have a blueprint and we rolled it out. No, it's not. It's just, uh, it's people's work. So we need to sort of align where possible. I know that we have discussions on the, what is sustainable investment. We'll try to align as much as possible, but without losing, uh, the flexibility that a transparency framework offers, right? So it should not be the, the, uh, the, the precise standards in the taxonomy uh, that is very welcome. But then again, keep the, some of the flexibility. Uh, we'll move uh, when we move forward. Thank you. That that is very helpful, and um, I must say, um, very much in line with uh, your views on this. Very good. <laughs> Happy to hear that. <laughs> uh, we are also very much supportive of the um, you know transition category in order to ensure that the framework can uh, better reflect the specificities of uh, this type of investments and. Uh, better contribute and, you know, help accelerate uh, the transition. 
Maybe just also very briefly, if we could discuss the principal adverse impact indicators, because, um, you know, on, on the one hand side, I, I think you very right pointed out that I think altogether SFDR has been quite a groundbreaking regulation, you know, on many fronts, because if you think about it, you know, really big kudos to you, you know, in that respect for ensuring that this is pretty much, you know, the first European regulation that really embedded the double materiality approach. You know, in, in a sense, I think that really helped then, you know, to ensure that the corporate sustainability reporting directive uh, also um, followed that principle. So I think that was really a major step forward. Also, I think one of the big achievements of, of this regulation uh, and in a way, you know, your legacy there is the fact that it already introduced to some extent uh, due diligence obligations on financial industry, right, specifically the asset management. And uh, therefore, indeed, you know, in this context, consideration of the principal adverse impacts. At the same time, I think right now this is also time to t take stock and consider a little bit, you know, whether there are any adjustments that are needed, maybe at least, you know, to some of the principal adverse impact indicators to ensure that they are fit for purpose, also from the investment perspective. Also, you know, consideration is given, for instance, to strengthening them at the product level and, for instance, whether and which of them would be best um, also to keep at the entity level. Uh, in a way, for instance, also there have been quite a lot of questions from the industry. How do you really consider the impacts? And for instance, uh, how do you go about, you know, setting any thresholds? I mean, to some extent, the European supervisory authorities have tried to provide some uh, guidance on that in the latest revised regulatory technical standards. But yes, what are your views on further improving this framework going forward? Well, at the time we negotiated the regulation, I dared to be agnostic on it, uh, on what I wanted to see what could be, what could develop as a common uh, denominator, so to say, through the interaction of financial market participants and supervisors. And because I think it's hard to be prescriptive in legislation on exactly what the principal adverse impact, uh, indicator will should be, right? Um, so I was one of the first to say we need to have a review of the SFDR for that reason. And I know we now have a review of the SFDR, but five years from now, we probably need a review of the SFDR. This is what I like about the flexibility of the framework, right? We need to, we may have some ideas on what be, what be good indicators. Um, I saw also very much pushed for to have the S and the G incorporated. There's now good proposals from the supervisors that so still needs to be, I think, adopted by the commission, but it shows a way forward and then we can see if it works in practice or not. And this is why it's good to have the consultation. That's the feed, that's the formal feedback of the financial markets and from the investor side. So in that sense, it's an, um, cumulative process, so to say. And I still try to be agnostic on what exactly what the principal adverse impacts should be. I, it should work. What I do know, it's where we can align it with some ideas of the taxonomy that would be very helpful. But then again, the, the, the transparency requirements should run ahead of the sustainability standards in the taxonomy. So this is where you, so you always have to find your way forward. 
so I'm happy to hear on uh, on uh, also from the uh, from investor side what works and what doesn't work, right? Uh, because I don't think that that this discussion is set uh, uh, set in stone, and it shouldn't be. More generally, I think when we started to discuss and negotiate the SFDR, some of the investors were also very helpful, right? So I never thought of the legislation as being at the frontier. I like to see there are some long-run investors, pension funds, insurance companies that I see as front-runners. And what we do is the legislation is to bring the average up, to bring the laggards on board, right? So it's not something that we always set the direction, but make sure that everyone follows that uh, that same direction. So in that sense, I try to be uh, to be modest as a legislator. I fully understand that it requires creativity and, act- and activity from the side of investors and the supervisors to make this uh, legislation work. Now, I know this is not an answer a lawyer or a legal expert would give, but then again, I'm not. So I'd, I'd look at it a bit more, let's see. Holistic on that. I think well, this is how it should work. So this is why I came forward quite early. We need a review, and I already know that five years from now, um, two people uh, like you and me are discussing the next review of the SFDR. This is how it should be. Then it should, then it really works. I hope that sort of answers your question. I'm not sure, but I hope it does. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it does definitely. Now, let's move on to the uh, EU Green Bond Standard. Um, you also led on this in the European Parliament as the rapporteur. This standard incorporates a transition perspective, as companies disposing of a transition plan will have to justify how the use of proceeds from EU Green Bonds will contribute to the objectives of this plan. What do you think should be done to better integrate this transition perspective in the EU sustainable finance framework? And and could you also share a little bit with the audience? What do you think are the main achievements of the EU green bond standard and how do you see it supporting the transition to a more sustainable economy? Well, on the last question, it's a vehicle, right? We can use to make the transition. That's the idea. So it, it, the proof is in the eating of the pudding. Uh, if it's not being used, it's not very useful. It's being used. It's, it's useful. And, and again, it's not just about the use of the green bond standard itself. It's also the impact it has on the other standards out there, right? So my, I also, I've always been in touch with the other standards, voluntary standard setters, hoping that that would help. This would also help their work moving forward. Again, we very much emphasize transition, and I already explained why that's important, but on the transition plans, I'm not sure that we are fully there yet. We emphasize the transition plans uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the, green, uh, the EU Green Bond Standard. But in fact, to make the transition plans work, we need also, I think, develop pretty specific sectoral pathways in which you show what the sector can and cannot contribute uh, and for which you can see the individual companies, uh, you can uh, see where the individual companies are in that industry, and but also the sectoral pathways will help to see what the private sector can do, but what are the preconditions that are necessary for uh, from the public sector, right? What kind of public policies? If you don't have carbon pricing, it will be much more difficult to make the transition if there is carbon pricing, right? So, um, so I think we should have developed this instrument much more, and that is, of course, not in the EU GBS. It's just make a reference to the transition plans. Uh, 
Um, we are discussing also uh, the, the, the CSDDD, where can these transition plans come back? And that also discusses the concept I tried to introduce in the, the SFDR, that's the due diligence, right? So there are two elements there. I think we need full-fledged transition plans, not just at the, the level of the corporates or the financial institution, but also at the sector, uh, to, uh, like uh, where you see the interaction between private uh, efforts and public efforts. Um, and at the same time, we need uh, the form of due diligence or the duties on the directors and on the companies itself, the stewardship, right? Um, and that's been discussed again in the parliament. It was discussed in 2019. The due diligence, I tried to put everything on the table, in all honesty. So I put due diligence on the table, of course. Uh, it was already to get a, a, a basic compromise was already difficult, as I just explained. But I put everything on the table. Uh, so it's this combination of transition plans embedded in sectoral pathways combined with form of corporate responsibility, be it, uh, let's say, in the form of due diligence, that really would make the difference and would really uh, uh, make the sustainable finance framework work as we want it to work to make sure that investment funds flow towards sustainable activities and do not flow to the destructive activities that we are still finance on a large scale. Thank you very much, Paul. You recently announced that you will not be seeking re-election to the European Parliament at the next European elections in June, which, by the way, we regret as uh, we believe that uh, you've you've done really an excellent job. Um, as a soon-to-be outside observer, can you tell us what you think these elections will mean for the future of Europe and in particular with regards to sustainable finance? This is, of course, in the context of growing criticism uh, with regards to, you know, to some extent, even sustainability and uh, a wider backlash against climate and sustainability policy uh, that we see in the election results of several European countries, including the Netherlands. Yeah. Could you please share your views and insights on this? Yeah, yeah. well, thank you for your kind words, uh, kind words, and I after more than uh, roughly 15 years of politics in the national and the European Parliament, it's time for a change. A change in role, not necessarily a change in the topic. I would love to still work in sustainable finance, but let's see how that works out. Uh, I don't know yet. Um, but I, a change of role. And it has also to do with, I think, the, the responsibility politicians have, as also from traditional parties like the Labour Party, I think we need to find ways to uh, to fight populist parties and especially the the, the, the right wing populist parties that are coming up. Um, and so we need um, politicians that bring the, this new energy to fight. And, uh, and after 15 years, I think it's good to uh, to leave that to uh, to others because it is concerning. I of course we were flabbergasted and, and honestly also shocked by the by the victory in the in the Dutch elections of the group by led by Geert Wilders. Uh, he's been a right wing populist from for many years, bashing Islam, uh, male and immigrants, uh, but also be very critical on uh, on climate change uh, policies. Uh, and of course the fear is is that that should that could be part of a broader trend. We also have the, uh, the, the the election of the French presidency coming up. Uh, Le Pen, or 
or make it to the second round. We, but even may win the second round this time. We have the elections of the American president, uh, of the American presidents. Again, Donald Trump is in the lead. So we're not sure what, uh, what the results will be of these elections, but hey, we see an, uh, a rise in right-wing populism and that has consequences, I think, for uh, climate change policy, for the Green Deal in general and for sustainable finance in, uh, in particular. For example, in the European Parliament, it has become increasingly difficult to have uh, initiatives on sustainable finance supported because there is also resistance, for example, within the EPP group, the Christian Democrats. But still, we were able to get a small majority in Parliament when it came to down to important votes. By the way, maybe the, the, the listener may remember we had the nature restoration law, which the EPP, the Christian Democrats, really decided to fight. And we got it through with a small majority in Parliament. Now, this majority is sometimes small, right? So if uh, this trend continues, it will have impact, I think, on um, uh, on the results. So if I now look at the overall polls for the European Parliament, you see that, for example, that Renew, the Liberals and the Greens are declining. Christian Democrats and Social Democrats, roughly all the same place, slight loss, but, that, but it means that other conservative parties come up, like ECR and ID. And that will, uh, that will change the balance when it comes down to important legislation. Now, doesn't mean that you, that we need to be desperate or something. Like I said, it's the, 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 the traditional parties need to step up to the place, uh, up to the plate and, uh, and find, need to find ways to fight populism in our society. That's my, my, my particular view. Um, but also I think we need to think about what gets a broader majority for sustainable finance. And I think one of the, well, improvements we can make is to make sure that sustainable finance has a broader base. This is why I sort of emphasize the transition much more. I very much hope that it will reach out, will help the companies that still need to make the transition, which is the majority of the, and that it will also have impact on SMEs. I think it's important to reach out to them too. So this, in this second phase of sustainable finance, I think it's time to broaden the base very much also to get the political support that we need to uh, to continue. Thank you very much, Paul. Now, maybe just looking at the future developments of the EU sustainable finance framework, I mean, we debated already the future review of SFDR. Now, assuming that there is an agreement reached on the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive and on the ESG ratings before the end of this legislative mandate. Looking at everything that has been done so far, what do you think is important in terms of the next steps, further development of this framework for the new co-legislators? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I already highlighted two important issues in the, in, the, in this podcast thus far. And I, let me, for clarity, repeat them. I think we should develop transition plans. They should be mandatory. They should be embedded in central pathways. Uh, and I think they can be a very important instrument. I just said already we need to reach out not just to the larger companies, but also to SMEs. We need to broaden the base. Um, and we make, have to make sure that our responsibility is enshrined. That can be in the form of due diligence, that can be in the form of directed duties, that can be in the form of 
linking uh, remuneration to uh, sustainability goals, right? There are different ways of doing that, but that's what, in the end what we need. So that's sort of the broad measures that we need to, the, the direction we need to take to make sure that this, because we are nearly there. We have done a lot in the last five years, and some of the regulations didn't kick in yet, right? CSD didn't kick in yet. And we, st- we don't, still don't have the European single access point, and we don't have the regulation. So, so I think we're near a tipping point. I think we had a lot of impacts uh, that changing the financial world, but um, we still need those elements that I just mentioned to really make sure that we have a, well, a different financial world in which people and planet are taking into account, because this is what I tried to work on in the last five years, and I'm very happy and uh, pr- proud that I could do that. Great. Thank you. And maybe just coming for a second uh, back to the EU taxonomy regulation, do you think there are merits in um, further completing the framework, for instance, by developing a taxonomy of social objectives and, for instance, you know, completing the framework to include significant harm and intermediate activities? Yeah, I think we should further develop. Uh, I think the discussion on gas and nuclear, uh, are they sustainable or not, really did, did harm in a sense that it makes everyone, especially the European Commission, more cautious about changing the taxonomy. Uh, but I still like to think that, like I said, transparency requirement and sustainability standards are not enough to bring the long-term perspective into financial market, but it's absolutely a prerequisite to do that, right? So I think we should further develop that, but also because everyone agrees, and I think there's broader consensus here, that once we we want to make the transition, now the transformation of our societies and economies, uh, but it can only be a just transition. So it needs to include the S. So everyone agrees. There's broad agreement on that, right? Um, so we need to f- move forward, and the, but this is why I said sometimes it's easier to change the transparency requirements than to enshrine the sustainability standards. So I think the front runner should again be the SFDR and the CSRD when it comes to the S and the G, uh, and not necessarily the taxonomy. But I th- I've seen good proposals from the, the former sustainability finance platform on this, which I really thought right, were very helpful. So, yeah, but we need to work steadily on that, too, because you can't have a transition just focusing on environments and forgetting the social aspects of that transition. It will not work in, uh, in my mind. And like I said, it will also broaden, the, again, the base of sustainable finance. If it's just about the planet and forget the people, uh, we will not make a successful transition. That's what I firmly believe. Thank you, Paul, for joining us today and for these very uh, important insights. On this positive note, I wish you all the best. Thanking you you for all the great work you have done so far. And, well, we uh, look forward to staying in touch and wish you all the best for your future endeavors. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.